0: It's time star. And welcome to the new 5 Star Podcast, my name is Tom Savage, I hope you're having a good week. Uh, the change I'm making to the 5 Star Podcast is I'm not just going to be focusing on the monster game that has just gone. I'm going to add a little bit more of what's currently going on in rugby as well. So to start off with, uh, let's have a look at this uh, monster versus Scarlet's game, which happened on Friday. Um, no, the reason why this is coming out on Tuesday and not Monday or Sunday... Uh, I've had a few issues at the back end of the Three Red Kings site. You may or may not be aware that over the weekend I kind of found out that uh, Ultimate Rugby, you might remember that app, um, that they were basically scraping my site for content and stuff like the Red Eye and the Wally Ratings was showing up on Ultimate Rugby, um, completely unbeknownst to me and without asking or checking at all. Um, so I've had a lot of stuff going on in the background that if you have had the TRK on the site on an RSS feed um, or anything like that, that won't work now. I've had to shut off like everything that's even close to that. I've had to shut all that down uh, over the last couple of days to prevent that from happening. Because the only other alternative was um, to start putting passwords on articles again. Or to have a login for Three Red Kings um, that you would go to from Patreon, which is just too much work. And I've tried doing the password thing before. It just confused people. and In the end, it nearly confused me trying to do uh, explainers as to how to work it. So nothing will change on how you access the the articles. You will get a link in your email. You will click on the link. You'll go straight to the article. uh, And hopefully the things I've been doing over the last couple of days will prevent... Um, my content from ending up on another app well to be fair it's only ever been one that's Ultimate Rugby so Dave to be fair have said when I got onto them via email that it was inadvertent Um, basically in, in so many words that I, I should have made more of an effort to lock up my content and then they wouldn't have accidentally scraped it if that makes sense which to me felt a little bit like um, you know w- you know, of, of course I robbed your car uh, you left a little crack in the window so yeah look I I think that it's um, unfortunate that that's the way that some places operate with regards to you know making content themselves They which they, they don't really do uh, and I think that that is just part of the media landscape as is but they've said to me that it was inadvertent I will choose to believe them and uh, yeah hopefully it won't be a, a factor going forward but that's been going on in the background over the last two or three days as well as uh, video hosting for the Wally Ratings videos which I'm also doing which is uh, yeah a lot of stuff going on a lot of stuff in the background but anyway um, we're back and with this podcast like I said I'm going to focus on the Monster vs. Scarlets game first and then go on to some of the, the rugby news that's happened over the weekend and kind of split it half and half we're going to half look back half look forward and that's going to be this podcast going going forward why is it Starman and in the intro, because well, I heard somebody kind of disparagingly referring to me as the Starman with regards to uh, the ratings that I give players at the end of games. So do you know what? I think it was a Tyrion in Game of Thrones said that you just. Well, I'm going to paraphrase him here. That you should wear any insults you get as a coat of armor, and that's what I'm going to do. So hello, Starman here. Um, anyway, this game forty two, forty nine. It finished. Monster just about winning. Was. first of all a really good game of rugby um that can't be understated that that it's actually good to watch an exciting rugby match with a lot of good scores now you're going to look at certain parts of it now i did there's a seven minute video on the wally ratings that i put out on sunday that basically looks at the defensive issues that went wrong in that game i'm going to have an article coming either today or tomorrow morning on the five euro tier for the gift room which basically looks at the, the really good stuff that Monster did in attack and how that reflects on what Monster have been doing over the course of the last number of, of months, I would say, where we're nowhere near what we're going to be when it's all finished, but it's really encouraging how quickly it, it's moving on. But the the main thing that people were speaking to me after the game was, and I think this actually affected some people's enjoyment of it, was how close Monster came to losing, given at one point we were twenty-eight 28 nil up or something like that um, in, in the first half and I think it's when you're looking at this game overall I'm not, I'm not sure you can disentangle the week that was from the game itself and from what happened in the second half now this is not to use it as an excuse I'm just giving you a kind of a, a bit of background as to how sometimes a performance like this can kind of start really well and then drastically tail off okay so like with the 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 passing of of, of Tom Tierney really really sad a, a great monster guy a fellow who would be would have been very well known to the vast majority of the players who would have been involved in the H in, in the HPC including a ton of guys who were due to start in this game who would have they would have been a friend of his they, they, he would have been a mentor to them he would have coached them coming up um over the last five or six years. Uh, to find out a guy like that has has died suddenly, you know isn't it it's 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 not something that has been because sometimes I think people pass away, but if they've been ill, I think to a certain extent people can kind of parse that a little bit easier, but when they have not been sick or not been unwell as far as anybody has been aware, um that can be incredibly shocking. That happened the day before the Ireland versus Italy game, and the funeral the removal all that other stuff happened uh last week in the build up to this game, which was on Friday night. Um, that can all affect especially a bunch of younger players that can affect your prep for a game which sounds ridiculously fucking callous I don't mean it to sound that way because there's more important things in life than prep for your game this being one of them but like it's just one of those things that it, it if you're going to a funeral if you're having this you know something quite um, stressful or upsetting or anything happening during a week that can affect your ability to Perform in a high performance sport environment. That's just a reality. Um, so, um, when you look at a lot of the guys who were coming on, guys like Mark Donnelly, guys like uh, Ethan Coughlin, but P- Patrick Camp, a lot of these players, like a, all of them pretty much, would have worked with Tom Tierney at some stage. They would have seen him around the, hi- the high performance centre. And, you know, that's something that it throws you off because, again, it's, it, it's an upsetting thing to happen. So, I think that's something that you can't separate at all I've been talking to guys in the aftermath of the game where they've been saying look that's obviously and, and everybody's very quick to say look I'm not using it as, as an excuse not using it as an excuse because look Munster won the game first of all but it's just one of those things that it, it it throws you off and we cannot separate that from what you might look at as a defensive collapse in the second half we can't we 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 can't separate the two things they are not unrelated okay so when you look at um your i suppose your performance as a whole i'll get to the first half the second half to lose it i think it was 35 points to 14 i think um was again just really out of character for this group we haven't even in the dog days of the start of the season we weren't really conceding tries to that at, at like at that rate certainly and look like, the Scarlets are a much better side than what people were giving them credit for, and I think what their position in the table would currently tell you. There's a lot of background noise and nonsense going on in Welsh Rugby, which I'll speak about later as well. But like that first half performance, I don't think was reflective of the Scarlets' quality overall, and is actually more of a reflection as to how well Munster were playing and giving the Scarlets no real avenue to attack at all that changed in the second half but in the first half that performance from Munster from an offensive perspective was outstanding in the second half systemically, tactically I felt we made some really kind of silly errors early in the game in the first five minutes of the second half that gave the Scarlets a couple of launching opportunities and I think as well maybe spooked the group a little bit as well um, because in that first half, we were very, very low on the error rate. Or if there were error errors, they weren't. They weren't. They didn't even kill moves. Right? They didn't even kill sequences of possession. So, when that started happening in the second half, I think we conceded. We lost the line out, knocked on a high ball, um, knocked on in the carry, and had a couple of errors like that in the first five minutes. That can kind of give a little bit of a land to the group, especially when at the end of that sequence the Scarlet scored a try. So that brought it back to thirty five, I think it was, uh fourteen. And at this, you know, at at that point you'd say, look, there's no way Monster should be conceding any more than we'll say another one try, maybe another two tries, you'd be fuck you'd be you'd be disappointed that they're having given that away. But um, that is kind of what happened from there. And you look at wh- how it happened and I think that outside of the the overall like mental, emotional space of guys coming into that second half or into that game in general, because I tell you, and having spoken to guys who were involved in the, the Axel game, the start of that game, the energy that they were like pushing out and the intensity that they were playing with, nobody could live with that. But at the same time, Nobody can keep that up for a full 80 minutes. So the Scarlets were going to get a purple patch when Munster were going to drop off. And I think when Munster started to make a lot of changes in the second half, we had a 6-2 split. We had a bit of disruption in the back in the in the, the back line and back three in particular, which is very important for, for this Munster side actually to have that um to have that back three. Like they're very, very important to everything that we do. Um like that is a I suppose a good place to start for how Munster's second half started to get out of hand, um, but yeah, no, I, I I think that the the big the big thing for me was defensive mistakes um, that weren't systemic. So it wasn't like the Scarlets had cracked Munster's defensive system. But I will say that there was a few moments where the Scarlets have done their homework here. Obviously, like they didn't accidentally score, you know, forty two points they had done their homework and we didn't adapt on field quickly enough and when you have guys then starting to go off on solo runs um, I think what happened by the end of the game was is that we were actually even though RG Sleeman was on the field we finished the game smaller than what we did when we started it and as a result we started to lose traction in the game and like I look at a couple of things one Uh, We replaced Jack O'Donoghue quite early in the game. That was planned, as far as I'm aware. Uh, They wanted to give as many minutes as possible. And you figure, look, once there are 30-something points to 14 up, let's give guys minutes. Let's give guys plenty of time. And I think losing a guy like O'Donoghue, who... Has had his issues this season. He's been up and down in his performances, but over the last number of months, he's been very, very good. He's a guy who gives you solid leadership, solid captaincy for games like this. Like he's he's made mistakes as captain. I think I think everybody as if when they were captain, they, they've made mistakes tactically. But he's a defensive captain for us as well, and his organisation with regards to. Guarding the edge spaces and, you know, getting some, getting good alignments and get, you know, getting good comms and making good reads. That's all part of what Jack who does. But when you look at um, how we finished the game, we brought on Jack O'Sullivan, who I felt had, again, th- he's just been very unfortunate that whenever he's come on, this has been a thing I've said repeatedly. We've ended up defending for the majority of the game whenever he's been in the field. And like that was the case again here. And, like, I think at the moment he's in a bit of role flux himself, where we brought him on to replace uh, Jack O'Donoghue as a kind of a heavy combo flanker. But Jack O'Donoghue, like, from a mobility perspective, is very quick, underratedly quick, actually. And uh, a couple of times, and this is, like, this happened throughout the game, where, especially in the second half, I would say, we were giving up a lot of spacing on the inside. And that exposed some guys for a lack of pace and a lack of ability to cover across as inside defenders, especially post-set piece, which happened a few times. This is something that that happens if guys are in the middle of, we'll say, a change in their physique. If they're adding on some extra kg, you have to basically have to let that bid in. And we were, in, in one sense, playing with a very heavy front five for the most part for the second half but with quite a light back five if you can get my meaning so uh, there was a lot of pressure came on the likes of O'Sullivan the likes of Hodnett uh, and the likes of Kindelen later or Kindelin, um, to cover that spacing and uh, Witcherly as well and uh, yeah like the, the first try that the Scarlet scored it, it, it's a mistake that, that starts it um, and it, it comes from uh, finish, or Josh Richerly picking up an injury as he's transiting across the field. That defensive scheme where it looked like these lads have run through a fucking hole here. How did that happen? It it happened because Josh Richardley, who was meant to be guarding that space, twisted his twisted his ankle. I think it was as he was going across the field. He got bumped by Jab and Sevas- uh, Sebastian, um, lost his footing. His heel, I think, got kind of got caught in the turf. He went over on it, and he wasn't able to get into the space in time. So uh, your man uh, Ve v- Fafita, Fifi- by the way, that trio of uh, Fafita, Calamafoni, and Sam Luisi were outstanding for the Scarlets. Really, really good. Um, but that was that's how the first try happened. The other one, the other, like the other tries then are coming from just individual mistakes. A pass not given, a ruck not secured, uh, a brain fade from the scrum half. And then all of a sudden they have a second try. And that's how kind of momentum starts to, to sap away. Whereas everybody expected the Scarlet's to have a, a purple patch. But they didn't expect that to also happen when Munster were having a fucking, what's the opposite of a purple patch? Um, a grey patch. <laughs> Munster were having a grey patch and uh, they started to fall away fairly dramatically and like to give you an idea like typically when you see a team conceding um, as many tries as Munster did in that second half it's usually off the back of a ton of indiscipline but that did not happen here Munster's discipline was actually ridiculously good we only gave away four penalties all game but we were conceding massive line breaks in the wider channels and like that's why it's so uncharacteristic where you look at it and go like that hasn't happened to Munster all season and that's because it is un- it is uncharacteristic. So I think you're looking at it and going, how did those happen? Defensive mistakes, guys making, oh, blitzing a little bit too far, but also the Scarlets stepping back their, their, um, their, their, their offensive line a little bit. Their first receiver came quite a bit back and they were drawing out our blitz. It reminded me quite a bit actually of when uh, Ireland lost to New Zealand in the quarterfinal of the 2019 World Cup where um, New Zealand who had previous history of getting pieced up by um by Ireland's you know heavy Andy Farrell kind of blitz defense in the in the months prior, decided that, well, we're actually just gonna go just that little bit further back. So you're blitzing, but you're running for two, three, four, five steps before you get even near us and the ball's gone. Like that happened a few times where we were kind of stepping out of the line and the inside defenders weren't able to cover. This comes down to inexperience On on the first hand, because there was a lot of young players in the field and we had a disrupted backfield as well, which it disrupted our ability to chase effectively, but also it hurt some of our defensive alignments. But in the second half in particular, I noticed an awful lot of uh, guys like Keenan Knox, guys like Mark Donnelly, guys like RG Snayman, not able to cover across the space effectively. But we shouldn't really be expecting these guys to do that because... Keenan Knox is just back from a fairly, it ended up being a, a, a medium-term uh, injury. Um, but you look at RG Stammen, it's his first match back in years. So you have that aspect of it as well. They're not going to be fully match, match sharp, especially against a team like the Scarlets, who when they were you know, get, getting those compressions, they were going wide and they were playing with real pace and on a very quick surface as well. Um, we got exposed a little bit on the inside. Munster's defence works on trusting that inside defender. You blitz inside covers. The problem was that we weren't getting the same level of inside cover. And some of that comes down to alignment as well. I wrote in the Wally Ratings that I think that part of what we'll have to learn with getting guys like RG Snaman and getting guys like Keenan Knox back into this team consistently is that we will have to cover, our defensive system will have to adapt covered that the fact that these guys won't be able to get across the field as quickly as lighter athletes and they'll get quicker they'll get sharper because when you're out injured and again with Mark Donnelly like this is a guy who this season and by the way with Mark Donnelly people are asking me like I, I gave him a two-star performance like I didn't think he played great but Mark Donnelly for me is a really interesting player like he's a guy who like you look at the, the size that he's packed on even over the last season like once that settles in on him I think there's a serious player there. Like he was in a bit of trouble in the scrum here, also. But like young guys, bit like like it takes time for guys to build into their career and build into their, their 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 pro role. I suppose. Like he's still incredibly young, still in the academy. So like he can he didn't have a great game here for me, but that doesn't mean that this is not a a fairly high potential player. Like again, I think there's a mistake in assuming that unless you have a very successful Irish in your 20 career, that you're not going to make it as a top player. I think with Mark Donnelly, especially when I've been looking at him in AIL, and there's an AIL podcast coming uh, tomorrow, uh, just rounding up some of the younger players that I watched over the weekend in Division 1A. Um, when you look at guys like um, like Mark Donnelly, I've seen him playing Lucid, but I've also seen him covering tight head for Gary Owen over the last number of, of, of months, I suppose, in the AIL. To be able to do that at AIL level, like, you've got to have a level level of size and power about you, and Mark Donnelly certainly has that. And, like, I think he's been adding to his shape because he looks to me, just from from an, an eye test level, bigger and heavier than what he did last season. Like, watching him here, like, he seemed like he was trucking around at least 115, and, like, you know, you, you need to have that size, for me, and the, the modern prop has to be able to shift around, like, 120kg for me, because that's that's kind of where the game is going. Like, Keenan Knox, for example, came on, and going in a straight line with the ball in hand, and defensively, he put in some great shots. Um, I think, you know, the, like, the coverage required um, got caught once or twice, but... To me, that comes down to alignment more than anything else. Like, I think that's one of the one of the things that they'll be most not concerned about, but they'll that'll be real work on. Is that we too often saw our small forwards or our you know combo flanker uh, small forward got kind of caught in a double tackle. Like there was a build up to a line break that came down to Kendel- uh, Kendall and O'Sullivan getting caught on a um, on a making a double tackle on Carin Tua Palato. And, like, they were out of the next phase. They're the guys that we expect to cover for us. And I think as well, it'll be a little bit disappointing as to how the midfield didn't really get around to doing too much in the way of defensive coverage either. That's something that we'll have to watch and I think will be a a, a factor going forward if we're going to compensate for having a big, heavy team. Because, look, over the last, I'd say, two or three seasons, like, defensively, Munster have been very, very good. Like, we we don't concede a whole ton of line breaks from as far out as we did in this game. Like, you know, you might concede, you know, you might concede penalties at the breakdown. You might concede penalties, you know, for not rolling away because you're giving up a bit of power. But, like, not like like the sort of opportunities that we saw here, that we saw giving up. Like, that to me comes down to, in part, you have to compensate for your bigger athletes, your stronger power athletes. Donnelly is on the, on the track to be considered that way Keenan Knox certainly is he's come back looking fucking massive same with RG Snayman. obviously RG, RG's looking like he's playing a little bit heavier than, than when he was uh, first injured and then when he came back the second time he's looking bigger and, and, and more imposing but at the same time these guys can't do the same amount of defensive coverage as a lighter player might be able to do so that's something that we're going to have to, to compensate for and I think that defensive inexperience as well and I think looking at the back five as they were and even you know, Dermot Barron coming back in the field as well we missed having some kind of solid leadership there you know and I think you look at uh, RG Salmon, who's actually in the le- leadership group for Munster this season it's a bit much to be expecting that guy to be coming back in and driving Philister on the field like He's coming back in and focusing on his own game, I suppose, to get that out of the way first and just focus on and look looking at RG, man, he had some good counter jumps. He had one really good offensive ruck where he fucking hit that ruck and sent a guy spinning after it, which is great to see. But like he's still building obviously as a player, and you know, you have to give these guys time to build themselves back in and you know get their you know, get used to, to game speed as well. Monster training very quick but when it comes to front five forwards like during a game like that you're going to be exposed to you know the, the kind of the, the adrenaline dump of being in, a, in, in an actual game as well and, and uh, everything that comes with that so I think that like you can certainly explain like that that happened that it was like the defensive malfunctions I suppose that they happened plainly but I think looking at it overall I wouldn't say it's anything to be overtly concerned about but with that accepted some of the tries that Monster scored in this game Absolutely, astoundingly good. Like, even the last try that Munster scored with uh, Jack Crowley taking it a first receiver, stepping back inside the blitz, uh, hitting Shane Daly, who was able to then pop the ball to Calvin Nash. Nash and Daly, by the way, five-star performers. Absolutely outstanding, the two of them. Like, if you think about it, like last season, if everybody was fit, you would have seen the likes of maybe Simon Zebo. you would have seen Keith Earls, you would have seen Andrew Conway as being the guys who would have been, been involved for us on the wing. This season, both Calvin Nash and Shane Daly have been regularly involved. Um, uh, Daly, both as that, that blindside winger and fullback. And they have not looked a, a second out of place. Like, they have been so good, so accurate, and they're scoring tries. Like, that'll give you an idea as to the manner in which monster are playing now like offensively we're running such interesting shapes when it comes to the 3-3-1 that we use as our base like we've got so much action going on behind that 3-3-1 with looping edge forwards who are looping from one edge of the attack to the other we've got our back three which do Like, their GPS numbers are through the roof, I would say. Because the amount of movement they are doing to create overloads and deep options on all kinds of phase play, even in uh, post-set piece, post-transition, in settled phase play, they're offering so many different uh, looks. They're offering so many options, different lines of running on the infield, like Calvin Nash's try for Paddy Patterson. He started that off in the screen Um, and everybody was looking like this is going into the screen and out wide. Everybody was shaping for it. There was players calling for it, but the call was always Calvin Nash hits back inside and catches them as they drift across to the pod, and it worked perfectly. You look at Shane Daly's try, beating guys with footwork, with acceleration, with power. He's looked so great this season as well, has Shane Daly. Really, really impressive, and that comes down to how Munster are playing. And I think that the first half in particular comes down to just brutalising teams with phase play and options. Like last season, we were a team who would have played, and I'm, I'm only going to use these comparisons for so long. I know it's it's March now, but like Munster were playing last season with a sort of a three or four phases in a certain area of the field, and then you kick and reset. Lots of teams use that. It's fairly standard. This season, we are given licence to play 8, nine, ten phases and look you need fitness to play that obviously but in the first half we scored 2 tries that were based off more than 5 phases worth of phase play I think both of them maybe were, were higher than 10 as well and typically when you see teams going through oh, 10 phases of possession that's in and around the 5 metre line that certainly was Munster last season if we went through a multi-phase set that's not the case here uh, really playing with a lot of tempo really playing with, with it, but it, it's mainly the options off nine, you would see Jean Klain coming in on a narrow crash line. We're using that to compress defences. Then we've got Carberry, run, who I thought played really sharply, actually. They did, did, did Joey Carberry. He had a few mistakes, of course. But I think his understanding of what Munster are doing offensively is actually really high at the moment. And the decisions that he makes end up with tries being scored, if that makes sense. like we're, like You would think that's an obvious thing. But his management of those phases is actually really impressive and I think it's one of those things that he doesn't get a lot of credit for because I think, I think I've fallen into this trap too, of looking at a guy like um, Carberry and expecting him to be, you know, beating defenders one-on-one in tight spaces and, you know, doing all that stuff. But I think his actual management of our system has been really good as well and it's something that's gone a little bit under the radar that he's been quite good there uh, and, also, was, I think it was 100% off the tee in this game as well, when you consider how bad the, the previous couple of weeks were, that in itself is notable too, I thought Joy had a good game, uh, and a couple of other players as well, I, I got a few uh, questions about you know um, a guy who I almost just called Gareth Coombs, uh, Gavin Coombs, about how I felt he played, um, he was... He was fine. Like he didn't have a massive game by any means, but he had a number of good screen passes. He made some good stops in defense. He scored a try, obviously, as well. Had some good lineout mall work too. Some good lifts. Um, like defensively, showed up well in the defensive mall also. Um, and and plus, like I think one of the things here is like I think expectations when it comes to a guy like that who's ascendant and looking to try and get into the Irish team, you can kind of throw, I suppose. Unfair expectations on a guy like that by going okay. Well, look, you've got to get in there ahead of Kalen Doris, who every performance he does at a certain level is is mythical and uncatchable. Whereas, if even if you play incredibly well, like like Gavin Coombs did against the Ospreys, like that in itself is never enough. And anything that Gavin Coombs did in a game like this could never be enough. To be fair, I think with Gavin Coombs, what he has to wait for now is an injury. Like he's done pretty much all he can. Like, he's played incredibly well in big European games. He's won player the match in those big games. He's scored a ton of tries. Uh, he's rounded out his game. Like, there's only so much you can do. Like You, you know, you, you can, like, if if Gavin Coombs came out and scored another hat-trick in this game, like, he scored one try, by the way, and and I think overall had a decent game. Like, would he be starting for Ireland against, against Scotland after scoring a hat-trick here? Like, no, he wouldn't. Like, he just wouldn't. That's not how the Ireland system works over the last number of years, and not even under Farrell, really. Like, so I, I think, and you, and you could say the same thing, like for Jack Conan, like I think at times, like where, where CJ Standard towards the end of his, end of his run wasn't necessarily the CJ Standard of all, but he was still getting selected ahead of guys like Jack Conan, and I think that's something where that's just part of the gig when it comes to Ireland over the last number of years, like, and I think in a in a top down central contracting environment or even an environment where Ireland have, you know, we need that level of cohesion that we have. Like something has to happen at this stage for Gavin Coombs. He has shown that he's capable of being a big game performer. When it comes to getting his opportunity at test level, now we just have to wait for Jack Conan or Caelan Doris to get injured. And if they do, he'll be at least on the bench. And that's just, sometimes you just need that little break a little a little injury break like for example like you'd look at um, Josh Vanderfleer for example like he benefited from Dan Levy getting injured like that's just what it's the cruel part of sport is that sometimes to get ahead somebody else has to you know come a cropper and I think that's where Gavin Coombs is at the moment so like some people kind of go and look uh, he was a bit quiet or whatever else I suppose if you compare him to the previous game where he was scoring a hat trick or whatever else you could say yeah look he was quietish." ish I still think he played well but I just think it's one of those ones where you can complain about it all you want you can say it's unfair all you want it's just one of those things at this stage where he just has to wait for one of those players to get injured and that could be this weekend it could be next weekend it could be next season Whatever it is, that's just what Gavin Coombs has to do uh, to get his opportunity. And then when it comes, he has to take it. That's always the other part of that sword. So, yeah, look, I, I think that on the whole, though, I think even with the poor defensive performance in the second half, I think there was some strong performances overall. Like uh, Jean Klein, I felt it very well, even though there was just an absolutely comical fucking <laughs> line break where he had where he got tap tackled and he seemed to be falling for 15 minutes. But um, that was like as in overall, I thought Jean Klein again had a great game. Um Fries and Fekatoa in the first half looked great. Second half defensively looked a little bit out of sorts, but they weren't the only ones. Um, Salanoa, great game, I felt. Very physical, scrummaged really, really well. um and uh, Dermot Barron looked good as well. Ended up playing way more of the game than what he than what he wanted, but I think overall played very well in his fiftieth cap. Uh, Josh Witcherly, I was talking beforehand about how he needed a big game. Uh, he looked good at in, in patches. I still think he needs something though. I know he got hurt here, and like hopefully I know it's not nothing too long term, but he needs something. Needs a little bit of pop in his game, maybe. Uh, like uh, uh, settling into his size a little bit more building a little bit more size settling into that like I think he'll be truly successful if he can stay even partly as explosive around 120kg or there or thereabouts size I think I've said it for a while he needs that size but it's not just about size it's about handling it and managing it and then he can start to impose himself a little bit more uh, as a ball carrier I think that's something where we need to see a bit more from him ...physically imposing himself that way... ...as an athlete... Um, ...that's kind of where the game is going... ...you know and I think that... Um, ...I'll get to this in a minute but... ...I think looking at where... ...where we're going in, in the game... ...I think for props in particular... ...your scrum will be... ...important... ...but it won't be the be-all and end-all... Of, uh, end of, ...of how you are judged as a player in the modern game... ...like... You can concede penalties props concede penalties there's no such thing as a as a prop now who doesn't go backwards in the scrum or whatever else or who you know never concedes a penalty because referees have to award these penalties so if I'm like like looking at Josh richley I'm thinking there's a good player there, but when we get to the start of the even at the playing against decent sides during test windows in um in in the u r c which the scarlets are physically I need to see a little bit more. And hopefully now the injury he picked up isn't isn't um, isn't isn't the, the, the long term one. Um, we'll kind of find out soon enough, I'd say, uh, as to when that is. But hopefully that will build. And and sometimes it, it takes time. Look, you look at Jeremy Lockman. Like I was very critical of Jeremy Lockman over the last number of, of of seasons. But you look at him this year, and even over the summer, physically, something seems to have clicked for him. Where he has the size but he also can can shift it around if that makes sense so that's something I think that's been a, a net benefit for for uh, Jeremy Lockman and we look at Dave Kilcoyne how well he's come back from injury as well looking explosive looking really aggressive at, at 34 33, 34 years of age he's looking like he did like 4 or 5 years ago which is great to see it takes time especially when you're a prop to, to build in the entirety of your of your physique as a complete front row at- athlete so that's something to watch out for but um yeah, look, overall, I think, great game, exciting to watch, too exciting, I think, given what the score was at halftime, but some lovely tries scored, some really good attacking work from Munster as well, which me to, to me bodes very well for the future, and bodes very well for what this team might look like at this point next season, which is even more interesting. Anyway, uh, some of the other news that's broken in rugby over the last number of days, London Trailfinders, Finders, um, which was the the screen grab that went around the world, <laughs> the rugby world, uh, over the weekend, where the rumours are, if you've, if you've not heard this, are that Ealing Trail finders in the, in the English Championship who have been repeatedly denied uh, promotion to the, uh, to the Gallagher Premiership because of their stadium not being above 10k or having permission to go above 10k seaters, a, a, like a 10k cedar seat, stadium or uh, whatever. Like, and to be honest like realistically like how often in the English Premiership do you see teams week to week getting over 10k you don't really it's it's a weird one and it's always been a little bit weird given how how well Ealing have done and how they've invested in bringing along their underage structures and the, the players they've brought into the championship as well Um, they have been denied again uh, you might have seen that a couple of weeks ago where I think it was Doncaster were given uh, the green light that were they to be promoted or whatever else because, because of their stadium um, or their the access to a stadium that they might have, Ealing doesn't have that. So uh, when this London Trailfinders thing started coming out that Ealing were looking to merge with the Ospreys um, and then enter the URC, seeing the London Trail Finders pop up as uh, something a company's house was very, very interesting. And it came across as being kind of, to me anyway, it seemed like they were kind of letting the RFU and the Premiership know that they were serious about this and like, if you ask Osprey's people like fans, even I think their coach and some of the guys involved there, they're adamant that this isn't happening. Like, they're adamant that they're not merging. Now, this was like, not not with the Ealing Trailfinders, but last season there was talk that the, um the, the Ospreys and the Scarlets would be merging and then that was kind of nixed at the last minute as well it all comes down to the fact that the Welsh Rugby Union cannot and Welsh Rugby I think cannot sustain four regions as it currently stands we're in the middle at the moment of a fairly significant financial shift where like the ground is moving underneath us and depending on your the the strength of your foundations how much you feel that shake really does depend on like I said your security how strong your foundations are we're not really experiencing it in Munster or in Ireland so to speak at the same time though you do hear stories that Connacht are cutting an awful lot from their budget and that there's a ton of guys who were either um being released outright or offered stuff like 30, 40,000 euro a year which again you hear that in Wales and you think Jesus Christ I heard stories about guys being offered that uh, in Connacht also now like all throughout like the the game uh, in Ireland and I think this is true in Ulster Munster and Leinster as well guys have been offered less money on their contracts and not as drastically less as what guys in Wales have been offered which is you know 80% less in some cases like Willis Halaholo had a tw- had a, had a thread on Twitter the other day where you're just like he injured his Achilles and he was basically you could see him saying to himself and saying on t- like that he feels like a fucking idiot because he had options to move but he decided to stay loyal to Cardiff and now he's injured his Achilles they're offering him b- bullshit money He's hurt at the moment, and thirty three, thirty four. So there's not a whole ton of people who were banging down the door for him anyway. And all of a sudden, you start to get this kind of feeling that you fucked up, and that's what I got from uh, Willis Halaholo, or is it Ray now really low? One of the two, anyway. Um, who, because again, they've been such a, a a partnership for Cardiff. Sometimes they can almost become like interchangeable in the same way that like Darcy and O'Driscoll would have been, like. So that was really distressing, actually, to see because you can see a guy there who's a father, who has people who rely on him, and all of a sudden he's hurt, and like, like when you look at at the 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 how precarious being a rugby player is, I think it's just illustrated right there that like they're offering him, like they have him over a barrel for like stupid money for a for, a, for a, I mean for a pro athlete, you know, for a guy playing you know, a collision sport like rugby, who's already injured, he probably can't afford to take that. So he's probably going to have to go back to to New Zealand and, and, and see what the crack is. Like, it's just one of those things that I think when you consider the environment that we're in in rugby, this has been coming for a while. It's not just to do with the pandemic, although the pandemic does, was a catalyst for this particular one. I think it goes back all the way to the middle of the last decade where the English clubs in particular, started to overheat the wages. I think what they wanted was to burn out the Pro 14 as it was and pick over what was remained. And from there, make it so that when they decided that they would have to bring wages back down, they would be the only game in town. So whatever they offered, people would take. It would still be more than what the other what the remains of the Irish provinces or the Welsh clubs or the Scottish clubs would be able to afford. I genuinely believe that that was their intent to make it so that even if you hung on to your players this time, because they were offering them in some cases more than double or 25% more than what they were on, they were making it harder for you to retain them. So even if you got them to sign in the contract, you had to abide by it so your finances would be fucking hurt as well. And that's... I think that was a a part of their plan uh, when they broke up the European Cup in the middle of the last decade. They wanted to disrupt, they wanted to overheat, and then they wanted to own whatever was left in the aftermath. And uh, for a while it worked. Like, you look at that middle of the last decade, in around 2013 to 20, we'll say 2016 maybe, 2016, 2017, for around two or three seasons there, like, even the likes of Munster and Leinster were looking like second-rate uh, second-rate outfits in Europe, in a European context, uh, context like, I remember um, and you could say, look this this was part of a, an, an adjustment going on at a coaching level at, at Leinster as well I remember them them getting wiped by I think it was Bath and Wasps in, in, the, in the Champions Cup one year and just thinking, like, fuck like, how is this going to turn around, you know? But the money that they were spending themselves, they were never quite able to untangle the web that they had kind of set for themselves. They were never able to, to kind of pull the heat back down because they were always competing with each other. And I think that uh, Saracens' salary cap issues, and not just Saracens, because I, 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 I do not believe that they were the only English team who were spending over and above the salary cap. Um, remember we're in a pro sport environment the ultimate aim here is to win they were never able to bring back down the money to a sustainable level even after they were not dominating but you know certainly in in an ascendant position in 2015-2016 they were never able to bring it back down because they were always competing internally with each other as well remember they got a big windfall from BT Sports and I think everybody assumed that they were just going to put that away and keep it as a structural funds or for investing in other different things. I think it's clear now that most of them spent it on wages, on bringing in top players because this top player will help us win. And when we win, we're going to get the crowds in through the gates. We're going to bump our money where it doesn't matter then what we're spending on, so like that what we've spent on players, we'll make back at the gate, we'll make back in merchandising, we'll make back in corporate sponsorship, we'll make back on our next TV deal, so we never have to worry about that. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It, there was not a massive return of people at the gate, and then the pandemic hit at the worst possible time, and then the sort of the the the, the, the private ownership then that's when that starts to really really hurt. That looked like a fantastic system in the middle of the last decade because guys were spending money. Owners were coming in and dropping 500k here, 300k there. Way cheaper than soccer. Who cares? Like you'd benefactor spending that money. Uh, but now it's looking like the union-based model is the way to go because the only as like side of the game that consistently makes money at the gate consistently, not that teams don't make money, is either French rugby or Test rugby and like French rugby is unique in itself it's a unique cultural space but i think that's what we're looking at at the moment with regards to the welsh in that um, they're kind of getting the worst of both worlds at the moment in that they're part private part funded bar the dragons who are completely funded by the by the wru but and who also i think look the most solid at the moment as well but you look at the other clubs cardiff the ospreys and and, and scarlets like historic clubs, like I hate seeing fucking players being offered bullshit money, and then being humming it over and like thinking, well, do I chance my arm out there? Like guys that are looking at the game now at the moment. They're thinking, like, do you know would I be better off going playing AIL and getting a job? Like for some for some guys, and that like that's in Ireland. Never mind in Wales. Like because people think, oh well, just go to the Championship, just go to France, just go to just go to the the Gallagher Premiership. Those options aren't there. Like, the money isn't there. Like, they're not spending that kind of big money anymore. And people think, oh, go to the championship. The money in the championship, lads, is not what people think it is. Like, it's very, very low. Like, I know there's... Like, as far as I'm aware, there are guys playing AIL at the moment who are earning more money. And I know that's off book or whatever else, but that's what I hear. They're earning more money than what they would be in the championship, or it's equivalent at least. So, like, this is kind of what we're looking at here, where... I think for the most part, like, the Welsh clubs are a, sim- are a symptom of that ground shaking underneath us. And, like, we're not feeling the, f- the side effects at the moment, but, like, as in, the game is changing. And, like, I think Munster in particular are in a decent spot because we can still draw big numbers at the gate. Like, you look at the South Africa A game, for example, a massive financial success. That will not be the last time that Munster play in Porky Cueve, I can tell you that. Um, and that kind of financial buffer puts the the the, the union funded clubs like 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 M- like Munster, Leinster, Ulster, Connacht to an extent. Like, but they they have a smaller, they, they like they have a smaller gate to deal with anyway. But look at the Scottish clubs, money to spend. Like, Facundo C- uh, Cordero was released by Exeter this this past week. He's joined Glasgow straight away. Like, they have that money to spend. Like, they did not have that before, but. They have that test money that they're like that, that that are being backed up with. That's where the money is, and that's why you see the union clubs at the moment are the ones who are able to spend money. They're able to invest in players. They're not the ones who are cutting. They're not the ones who have to get rid of a ton of players, for the most part. I know I know some do, but like that's kind of where I think that we're looking at going forward with the game financially. And like I don't think like there's big rumors at the moment that London Irish are are in trouble. That they're that they're looking to be sold at the moment as well and that they're again not that they're going to go the way of Worcester Warriors and, and Wasps who let, let's be clear like Wasps are one of the biggest clubs in Europe and they went under this season so you look at clubs like um, the, the the London Trailfinders thing I don't know if it's true or not but I do know that if the URC got an opportunity to get a foothold in London and it all worked out with the permissions from the RFU and whatever else who personally I think that they would not be they would not be too much in a rush to block that, because I think it would give them a good look as to what being in a non-relegation, union-controlled competition might do, and what that might do for the future state of, of, uh, of, of English rugby, because when you look at the clubs, the way, that, the way that it's currently in place personally, my own personal opinion here, is that I think that it won't be long till you're seeing a kind of a, you know, further squeezes in the, in the Gallagher Premiership, because the TV money isn't there anymore. You're looking at the gate money, is that there? And this is this is not just rugby, this is industry-wide, where numbers for, lives, for, for live sports, like the, the ad revenues for that are down, so the purchase money for that are down, for the most part, for the TV rights. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. And I think it's something that I just hope that whatever happens, that there's not too many people who are squeezed out of the game and who are squeezed out of being professionals uh, because it's, it sucks, quite frankly. So yeah, um, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I'll be back with a lot more content this week. Uh, I'll talk to you again very, very soon.